and gentlemen, and non-gender binaries. This is the Hero Philosophers by the Land Station. This is Greg's. I'm Spaceman. I'm Charlotte. <laughs> We're working on it, and welcome to episode four of the Hero Philosophers by the Land Station. But we're not alone today. No, we are not alone. In a general sense, we have Emily. Hi. Awesome. (laughs) That's Emily. How do we know Emily, Spaceman? Break Uh, it down. Well, you know, this is kind of a theme. I don't think we're fooling anyone to say that. She might also happen to work at the bookstore. Politics and prose. And now we became a game show. <laughs> da, 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 da. For $50,000. <laughs> um, yeah, Emily's also in charge of us. Um, it's like a little... <laughs> I hired two of the three of you. She was... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Wait. Which ones did... Wait. You, you're do, you want, do you want to hear the story of Let's that? Let's do it. Yeah, Let's yeah. do it. So... Uh, you were in the inbox and it was a good application and we were excited and then you came in to meet us and Abby met you and just like stole you. It was brutal. Mm. I'm still upset about it. If Abby is listening, I'm still upset about it. I was, I was caught between two worlds. Wow. Yeah. I remember my interview was you and Angela and uh, I, I got interviewed harder at PMP than my other job. <laughs> like, I feel like that was mostly Angela. Yeah, probably. it was like in, in <laughs> Shout out to Angela. She's listening. <laughs> Shout Angela. out. True book human. True, true, true book human, yeah. One hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah, I had to sell you on my favorite books and I was like, All right, let's go. That's hard. What were your favorite books? Um well, I hate that question. It's like, what's your favorite child? Well, I imagine what mothers feel when you ask them that, because I just like feel personally about a lot of books. But I picked um, The Master and Margarita and Knox by Ann Carson. And The Dead Avocado. And The Dead Avocado. Did I? Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. What a, what a hiring mix. supervisor memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's like why Emily's so awesome, right? So that level yeah, of like... It's that personal touch. Absolutely. <laughs> she, she curated us. Wow. That's a lot. That's heavy. <laughs> okay. No, but that, that swings. Did you also hire Mick? Did you help with Mick? Can I tell you a story about Mick? Let's yes. do it. All oh, his, behind the scenes yeah, with yeah. Mick on All his way to LA. All of his references were his friends that had worked with him at this hotel in Montana one summer. So I was just like talking to his friends about him. Oh, we talked it was about wild. that once. Yeah, wow. he worked at a hotel in Montana. With all of his friends. I did the same thing too, yeah. Wait, people actually call those? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. I didn't even know that story. He worked at a... What? Yeah. He's yeah. a bellhop. No. In like a uniform. Yeah. 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 I, I want to see a picture of him with the hat because Wait, like is that like a, this is gonna be a tradition, Mick. You are never going to escape. This <laughs> no, we're going to haunt you. Wow. Wait, was that right before he? Uh, like, I don't even remember if that was right before because I know he worked in. Well, I guess it was technically when he worked in the park too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He's never shared this much. Oh my, I feel so left out now. I, I like, feel like he's I talked about it, but it was just more like in passing sort of thing. I got you. Oh yeah, like, like to time. be honest, I also knew about it, so. <laughs> so it's just it's there a me an thing. Odd one out it's here. a me yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right, I got you. Oh well. Nah. So it's more like we shouldn't say how we know you; it's how you know us. That's like there's like some podception going on right here. Emily is like. Right. And it kind of gets to like what we want to talk about today. Right. So at the bookstore, you know, you're curating us because of (laughs) hiring hiring, recruitment. Right. Because of like what we bring to the table. Right. What we all read, what we contribute. And that kind of gets to like our topic today is advice. So in the thing about being a bookseller, you're pretty much giving advice all day. I need some crazy stories. Whether it's good or not. I don't know. I mean, like. There's the, we've all had the, you know, I've got a friend in the hospital and I need yeah. a book in which no one dies and everyone's okay and happy. And it's funny, but not light, not like a throwaway book. Cause you know, they're literary, but like nothing sad. And then you stare at them for several seconds before you go get the financial lives of the poet. <laughs> Wait, but I believe there's a right answer to that question because Markel told me the right answer to that yeah. question. What is the right answer? It's a collection of New Yorker or New Yorker fiction oh, writing. Oh, I know. That's that's clutch. Yeah, yeah wow. New Yorker fiction writing in the humor section. And every time I've said it since I heard that secret, they're like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's Just like it answers answer. the question. Done. Yeah. I also give um, Caitlin Warren mm. a lot. Just like 
a lot, especially if you're a woman. She's like, she likes this kind of thing, but no death. And you're just like, got it. And you're whispering. Yeah. So <laughs> I think, you, like you said, you go find the poet and you pitch it off to them. That happened to me once. So the story was, this woman comes over and says, oh, Greg, you know, Greg's writes poetry. Yeah, he'll put you in contact, whatever you like. She's oh, like, all right, so. Winner. Gotta love it. Winner. But, but it's. But then she like, Right. But I'm like, a, but I'm such a tragic poet. Like I write <laughs> and I read some of the saddest like things. So she, but the story, her story was like, so my friend, you know, she's sick and she's in the hospital right now. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, sincerely. Um, but her husband left her. It's like, oh, and he just died. There's no book for uh, Right. That. I was like, oh, no, but, and then I was like, okay, well, there's like the late wife by Claudia Emerson, mm-hmm. right? But she's like, nothing too heavy though. And I'm like, oh, but something that kind of touches on what she's going through. So I'm like at a loss. Like you want poems that kind of deal with these things, but wow. not too heavy. And it was, I was just, I recommended a bunch of things and said, you know, I trust, you know, your friend and flipped through it. she still bought Mary Oliver. <laughs> or Phil Collins, just because. Yeah, I, I, the question. She gave me the ah, you know what? I, I love these suggestions. I'll I'll grab one, and that's when I kind of slowly retreated. But it's hard. It throws me into existential crazes. I don't know. I'm it's just like, sort of like uh, I don't know, and then I realize I don't read that many funny things, and so it's actually yeah. a terrible question for me. Someone asked me what like because they were they were from uh, South America. I don't remember specifically where they said where they're from. They were like, yeah, do you have, like, love poems, like, like American oh, love poems? Oh, and I was American. like, yeah. No. But she was like, yeah, I've already read Neruda. And I was like, uh, Americans that, like, write about, like, love and poetry? And I'm like, we're kind of, like, sad and, like... like we don't feel love. Yeah. I'm like, Langston Hughes? Like, maybe? Like, yeah. I'm like... I was like, Maya Angelou? Like, I don't know. Like, does that even count? Like, it's like, it love was, is ironic at this point. Yeah, like, it was like, like, it was like, but E.E. E. Cummings has written some really yeah, sexy, sexy e. stuff. There you go. It's like, that stuff is... I was is... just racking my brain. I was just thinking, because, like, the, I would just give them a love poems collection. There are a lot of those. Love, yeah, there's yeah. lots of those. Yeah. Um, and just call it a day. But most recently, I've been, like, all about Elliot, and I'm like, I cannot suggest, like, Wasteland to you. So, like, the, I can't, like... The last book of poetry I read was When My Brother Was an Aztec by Natalie Diaz. It's pretty... It's and she's a Native American, Mave, uh, Native American, and the book is about her brother on meth. So it's like it's a really gay book. I recommend it. But she's like writing like these heavy things and like living with like a brother with like addiction. So it's like poetry gets really heavy. It's not like dead and like all these like old guys like people think. So it's it is interesting crazy. when people come in and they ask for for literature or poetry in a prescriptive way like that like I have this problem and I need you to give me a book that will tackle it and I had a woman ask me um, books uh, that help her deal with a divorce and I, I her voice was like thin I felt mm. like she was maybe gonna tell me her whole life if I didn't keep it on the profesh you know unless like, you wanted that I you know I've provoked that situation before but then it turns into like an hour of me not being on the floor because I'm like really involved in their life which I which I'm okay with mostly but like on a busy Saturday it's a bit hard but I ended up just pulling Rachel Cusk and um Cheryl Strayed and like just all the all the good stuff which yeah so I secretly love that part of book selling of yeah. the like talking to a guy about his open heart surgery and how he's feeling afterwards and like I was thinking about the the question about uh, a recommendation and how I think I'm not as much of a book person as certainly most of you are I think I'm more of a process person but I love the part where I get to just like stop and listen to someone like that's so yeah, it's, it's like such special. a privilege it's like a privilege yeah. to just like give someone that space and I, I value that a lot that like the open heart surgery guy or a therapist who like wanted to talk to me about my father and him about his father. And like, that was like this crazy intimate thing. And it happened for like 20 minutes on the phone and maybe I shouldn't have done it, but I know you should. It's like, it's a a space that you give someone. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also funny when you're like physically at the info desk and like that's happening or you're like, like nearby, like at the bestseller table, or maybe it's like the, the middle of The, the holiday season or a member sale or something because all the other booksellers know what's happening and like they know that you are being sucked in but they also know that like you're you're like you're you're treating that person with this care that like they can't really just like tell you to stop and you also don't like know whether you should stop or something and like 
I mean, I can remember like, and sometimes, you know, you get certain clients that are like, oh, they're going to buy 10 books when they come through. And like, they want like their, your opinion on every single one that they, they have. And really sometimes all they need is you to be like, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, but like sometimes it's, it is an immersive sort of, I, I think it really brings into question what is the function of like a bookstore and book selling when you have that like intimate experience between the, sh- between the shelves. Cause you're like, you're not like, you're not being efficient at all. Like you, you are not like earning your pay so much yet in some ways you earn your pay more in those moments. Uh, it's not a question for me of efficiency. Perhaps I phrased it incorrectly before. I guess my thing is, is I feel unqualified in that scenario. I like yeah. know tons of people that have addressed that question, that experience. Um, but I don't know how she should. And like whenever, it's just like when someone, especially recently when people come in and say, I want a book that'll help me understand the election. And then you're like, okay, yeah. okay. Or they ask for the various like iterations that they think Hillbilly Elegy is called. <laughs> Hillbilly Elegy, the book oh, by Oh yeah, Katie we had Pence, a list going. Eulogy. Yeah, Hillbilly Eulogy being my favorite one yeah. to date. Um, <laughs> like, but Redneck, we've had some great ones. Redneck. They just don't know Bible. what it's called. Anyway, but um, I think I heard the Square Dance of, connection. I was like, all right. that's amazing. I also would rather read that. Yeah. Book. Like, can someone make us that? But I guess my, my, my big question with that is, is this idea, and this links us back to the thing that we really are like honing in on, is advice. It's this idea that there is one body, one person, one text, one um, location for a perspective that will help you put your world in perspective. And it feels very heavy to encounter that. I mean, I feel my age, I'm like too young to give advice to a 45-year-old woman going through divorce. Um, I've never gone through divorce, but um, it's sort of, it's an interesting challenge that we face like pretty regularly about books, which feels powerful to us, but we relate to books as sources of power. So that's perhaps particular to us and other book lovers out there. But um, it links us back to our our point. When, When you asked Emily what she wanted to talk about on the podcast, she said advice. So well, I said uncertainty, but Christopher picked advice. <laughs> he said a couple of things. There were a couple of options. I mean, but advice kind of stuck out in a really dope, dope way. And it, it, and, and it actually is pretty, pretty related to the idea of uncertainty. But but that's like true, right? So like we like so we read this thing about like the history of advice. When you kind of go back through it, like it goes well in America, right? It goes like to this one guy who was cheating on his wife, didn't have anyone to talk to about it. But he happened to be a bookseller and someone who owned a press. So he started reaching out and he he started like one of the first kind of integrative magazines, interactive magazines, in which people kind of come out and ask for this advice about things they couldn't talk about. You know, so it's like this entire culture around, you know, when are you qualified to to ask someone a question, you know, that's intimate. But at the end of the day, like before there were professionals, like there were there were people in the community and kind of ways to go about guess anonymously, you know, asking what really is on your mind. We still have this deep desire for objective perspective on what we cannot help, and the people that we love cannot help experiencing in a deeply subjective way, like our own experiences, our own lives. Um, And it's interesting to me, I mean, if you have a faith or a strong um, moral direction that, like, is the guiding point of your life, or or say you're religious or, or something... You have that on which to orient many of the small choices and decisions and uh, situations you may encounter. But I, I perhaps for some of us, like we look to either a, a range of things and like kind of hedge our bets, like based on the accumulation of that. Or perhaps there's a case to be made that in the waning of organized religion for many people, like you, we're missing, we have a gap where that sort of idea of an objective good, an objective right, like the idea that you can play out the situation in a way that pleases some notion that is abstract that about what is right and what is wrong. So I, but honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about, so Emily, I presume given that you brought the topic up that you are a reader of advice columns and a consumer of in some way of that kind of media what is what's your what's your drug of choice in the advice world 
I love the ethicist in the New York Times. Mm. Um, though, like, it was the guy, one guy doing it for a long time, and he left, and I don't know if it's landed as well. I read Dear, Dear Prudence in Slate right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I meant it, so maybe it isn't the way that we mean to talk about it, but the way I meant it when I brought it up is that I really like person-to-person uh, person advice, and I think I like it for the opposite reason than maybe you've laid out that we socially um, are interested in advice columns or advice culture, which is that I like having a problem and struggling to figure out how to be um, a good and ethical and moral and generous person in the world um, and working that through with someone who maybe thinks differently than I do or who... And and the movement back and forth between our two ideas or our two understandings, like being in the process is what I really enjoy about it and not actually like coming to the end and knowing what's right. It's the fussing at it that I like. I don't know if that's not really an answer. (laughs) No, it is though, right? Because it's like this process, right? So it's like you're, you're coming to someone saying, I have this issue, I'm confiding with you and let's deal it out you know so it's it's kind of like this communion around like an idea and that kind of stress and pull of different experiences different life choices and you like like you said going to people that maybe have a different perspective of you so you're not looking for the echo chamber you're not just looking for the affirmation of yeah you're right go and tell him you know what the fuck is wrong with him and all that kind of stuff it's yeah, about break up with him he's yeah. terrible like that like that from a stranger which is always the hilarious like side part of this but you still want to hear it Right, like you, like to be affirmed. You mean? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, just like what you're talking about, how that you may disagree or you agree. Like, like when you choose to seek advice, and sometimes advice is given without like, seeking it. Right? Sometimes we hand it off, and that's when my friend calls it adding vice. When you choose to just as you have the hashtag, that, yeah, man, that's yeah. good. Um, you know, so there's like a difference between like advice and advising and like that, the relationship that is built between the two people where it is exchanging. But I think when we're talking about some of these more public platforms, you, you may go to it for the novelty of it, just like you may come to the bookstore for the novelty of getting a personalized book recommendation, even though that person doesn't know you from Adam, like you, you may read this random person who is like certified as an advice columnist, just so that you can hear what one opinion may be. Cause then like, you can like let that echo in your brain and then, and then figure out what it is that you. Do you feel the best advice comes from people that know you well? I've never asked advice of a stranger. Mm. So it's hard to know. But, like, I guess we get our advice, I guess, from... I take it back. Mm. All right. I once, at a re- I was in a complicated relationship situation. Haven't we? Uh, <laughs> and I was at a restaurant, Donku, which is closed mm-hmm. now in Petworth, uh, which was a really special place. And I was with uh, someone who was involved in the complicated situation, and we asked the waitress for advice, and she sat down and, like, talked wow. us through it she was it was pretty cool yeah. and I was good advice and yeah. I was grateful for that ex- that experience uh, I mean I'm pretty into like to like intimate conversations in general so and mm. that kind of thing happening with a stranger spontaneously is pretty that's special. pretty wild yeah it was good so yeah. do you guys prefer getting advice or giving advice there's a lot of self-reflexivity that has to go <laughs> I don't think I give advice a lot I just don't think I do I prefer getting, so I'll start asking if you'd yeah. like <laughs> advice. Could be great, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I guess what I feel like, and this is one of the things we, as we were brainstorming, I, I feel like I have a personality that um, inspires people to give me advice because they they think I'm wayward. <laughs> <laughs> they, they think that I, they think so that I don't know what I'm doing, and when I when I talk to people about ideas. I'm so open that, like, it gives the... For some reason, it's, like, me saying, come in and tell me, like, what you think. And then usually it ends up in me shutting down and, like, listening, but being, like, you don't... know. you just decided to take... Like, like you misunderstood my openness. Mm. Um, and, and you wanted to offer me something, which I wasn't asking for something. Mm. Um, I wanted to, sh- like, share in it with you. So I... I, I don't think I... Yeah, I don't think I... I think I would rather... I think I would rather receive it if it was good or if it was hmm. 
if it was directed in a way that I thought they had my they they had my interest. I got you. So you think it comes from a place where they want you to, to conform to something that they understand rather yeah. than being able to understand what your yeah. experience is. Can I ask a different question? Sure. Do you like having your mind changed or you know, in in the advising? Well, that's my brain thinking. That's an interesting question. Yeah, for me, I do like different perspectives. Uh, like Davis, sometimes there's like this weird pressure, especially when I'm getting advice from people that know me best. And it's like the weirdest thing. Like the closer someone is to me, I feel like they have this feeling that because they know my life more intimately than a stranger that they have, that it's not really advice at a certain point, it's like a dictation, like, this is what you should do. But I like having different perspectives, not to change my mind, but to just expand the way I'm thinking about a particular situation. Like, as a dude, you know, I'm, like, socialized in this particular way. And I really like advice from women that kind of make me think about things I'm taking, like, for granted in certain social situations or, or ways I'm, like, carrying myself um, that just inadvertently, because like the way I was raised or this, that, and the third may kind of be falling into like toxic masculinity and things I've never considered. Well, so we, have, the, we have two women right here that can offer. So. <laughs> all, the, all the advice in the world. Advice please. in this moment. Right. No, but it's like, that's what I really love when it's like, you're showing me where I'm falling short in the respect I should be giving other people because I'm just not considering it as a part of like my personal narrative. But, you know. That That's should never be the way I walk through the world is just thinking about my own life. That's really interesting. I have had the bizarre experience in the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm very close to my parents. Uh, my whole sort of nuclear family is very, very tight because uh, we grew up overseas and everywhere we went, um, those were the only people that I would ever know in anywhere I was because mm -hmm. everywhere we went and, and also sometimes the only English speakers on my street in my block in my neighborhood. So wherever we went, we were our own like little unit. We were my small America that existed in the confines of whatever house we were living in. And so actually I have filtered a great many of my ideas, uh, through my parents and my brothers and we're very, very close. And, uh, it's felt like, for most of my life, I couldn't make a solid decision without running it by <laughs> one of them, all of them. Like, even now, we're all in a big moment of transition in my family with a bunch of things, and we are all just on, like, group text. And I've never experienced this in a technological way, but, like, it's us recreating that same little environment that I grew up in. It's tight. Um, it is It is tight. It's claustrophobic, too. Um, <laughs> I will say, it's literally tight. And a weird thing has been happening in the last couple years. Um, so I will say, I am someone who has, um, and I don't think this is any particular, like, kudos to me. I think it has partly to do with having read a lot and having friends that are a little different from me in their, in their interests and drives. And, like, that's very stimulating. But I think that... Having read a lot means that they look to me occasionally to sort of synthesize things I've read and experiences I've had and conversations with my own parents. I sometimes even distill things my mom says and tell my friends, <laughs> which is kind of weird. Um, but particularly with politics, they like really require Carolyn's opinion. Um, but uh, it's interesting to me. I get asked for advice a lot, but in the last couple of years, my parents have been asking me for advice and um, uh. turning this relationship that previously I really required to tell me how to do things. They've been kind of turning it around on me and it's been sort of deeply unsettling. <laughs> um, and I, it's, it's bizarre. I don't know why I feel that way. I mean, it's a huge mark of intimacy and respect and I cherish like that I'm close to them like that. But, um, yeah, it's bizarre. So I, it's interesting that like, I, I don't know, who I asked for for advice. I asked my professors in college for advice all the time. I read biographies, which I think is a, one way of looking for advice or at least guidelines on how a life can be lived, particularly when you're trying to be creative. You realize that there are just thousands of ways to do it and there's no blueprint. And so you're like, well, I'm just gonna make myself as aware as I can be of all the various ways that one could live this kind of life. Um, but I almost feel like now that the sort of contract with my parents is sort of shifting and changing, I um, 
I just feel odd being asked for advice at 25. I just do. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe I've got this notion that, like, age and authority are just, like, forever linked. And until I'm literally old, I cannot be wise. Um, But I have never shook that and don't think I ever will. But I, I do get asked for it a lot. I don't know. And then I always give whatever is on my mind. And then I go, take it or leave it, or read this book. <laughs> and then I, and, and then I bow out. <laughs> That's kind of an arc I think everybody goes through with their parents. And maybe I'm like a few years older than I think all of you guys are. Yeah. And my parents were old when they had me. But that's a, it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting experience to move from the cared for recipient of all to of the, the things caring. to suddenly mm-hmm. being the caring, the one giving care. And yeah, that's a. Do you have siblings? I have a half sister who's 16 years older than I am. Oh, wow. She is bananas. Really? <laughs> so no, I hope she's not listening. Advice. That would be really funny. Nah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I, I would want to point back to you a little bit as being our guest because you do seem like a very. You mentioned that you're a few years older than us. You've like had. I this just experience. turned 30. <gasps> oh. Snaps. I love. I'm all about longevity. So like, I'm always like, yeah. I mean, honestly, age or die. Sorry. Like, I really. <laughs> That's I a don't, shirt. That's I really a shirt. Hate right when there. People get hung up on. Like, I don't care about age, <laughs> but you actually, honestly, I would have thought you were older, not because of like my laugh lines. No. <laughs> No, because if you're like the many faux pas are. Saves us. No, because of, because, of, because of your wisdom, and I think it's really interesting. Yes, Emily is very wise. That we landed on advice because, like you, uh, you, the listeners couldn't see, but the face that you just made was this very much like a that's not true, like shrug off. But like, and you do that all the time. But like, you you are a very wise person, and like I can already like like. I have gone to you for advice. That has been true. We have talked about stuff. And you probably think we, like, share it. But, um, no, I, like, definitely, like, see, like, you have a certain personality about it. And just, like, the fact that you have experienced. Because, funny, because, like, I think I'm experiencing the same thing that Charlotte is. I think that, like, I am at the turn with my parents. Yeah. Um, and I think different people go through that in different ways. And, like, some of it is actually learning to set up boundaries for yourself. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. And, like, like... Like, I know that you're coming to me for this because you need something, but I'm not, like, at first it was, like, flattery, and it was, like, wow, like, okay, what does this mean? And then it's, and then there's there's a point in which, because it's not, like, of course, like, the way you're intimate, um, the people that are really close to you come to you is not, like, a, can you tell me what you think about X, Y, or Z? It's not, like, it comes up, like, in the middle of, like, a conversation where, Someone literally throws their hands up and is like, I don't know what to do. And then you're like, wait, this is like an advice. Like, wait, you are literally like, like being vulnerable with me to the point that like, this is an option for me to suggest something. Yeah. Um, and I think it's even harder, right? Because there's that authority structure that like you've received and there's like that, like handing down of, of certain, like, types of knowledge that, like, you've understood, and now it's, like, your responsibility, and you don't think uh, you have anything, like, to give. And so, I don't know, I, I say that, and then I, I, I mean, I pointed that out, that I feel like Emily is a wise soul. Um, what, did, what, like, what have you understood in that in-between because like you're still going through that oh for sure that in-between process I'm sure but like what like what was that what what has your understanding of that been um like as you as you've grown older so I like probably come from the exact opposite kind of family Charlotte comes Mm -hmm. from that like my parents hated each other my whole life and my father passed away when I was 23 which is definitely a first step in in the changing of that like watching a parent pass away in a hospital is like an experience you'll experience it when you experience it and you won't know it till you know it I think for sure um and my mom not to be a sob story person and my mom got um got cancer this fall this past fall breast cancer and so that's been another um sort of move to like taking a parent to surgery and then caring for them afterwards and um, like being a physical caregiver, right, is in one sense, and then another sense, making these decisions together, in a sense. Um, and I don't know. I think, what do I think about how to move through that? 
I, I always wonder at people who are my age who haven't come to see their parents as, as really fallible people. I think there's like a relief in that, that you don't have to hold yourself up. I mean, you can aspire to have their good qualities, but you don't have to live up to the idea of them that you had in your mind as a child. You can liberate yourself from that and like love them as a person and not be angry at them for the ways that they failed you, but just like love them as a person in your life, which is a very different way than I think you love a parent as a child. Yeah. It's really um, true. It's really Yeah, it's really real. It's like, um, I grew up with, you know, single parent fossil. Like I knew my dad and everything. I still have a relationship with my father, but it's like when you kind of in that kind of situation, even from a very young age, I found my mother leaning on me yeah. for like certain things. And it kind of, you know, like you say, it's kind of like a veil, right? Because like you enter this world and whoever your caretaker is, you know, um, you know, regardless of your parental situations, you're looking for them to kind of explain what this all is outside and here, what I feel, what I smell, you know, what itches me. And you kind of, <laughs> right? Explain those itches. <laughs> right? No, but you're looking for an explanation for what everything is and like where you fit in within this. And then you kind of get to this point where this person that's kind of your guide right, kind of hits a wall and you're like, wait, you don't have these answers either, right? And then they're like, well, do you have the answer? You're like, well, maybe. I might I might know a thing or two about how to get into your email. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not, yeah, not just technological. Right, not technological. Yeah. But then, like, like my mother, was, we celebrated her birthday um, in February of this, of this year. And she was like, you know, she has, like, a passion project she's working for a while. And I was like, well, you know, you need X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And, like, if you're doing really well with this, then maybe that's kind of where you should be going. And she's like, you know what? No one would have told me that straight. And, like, just kind of, like, having... You know, the opportunity to say, you know, at a certain point, we are all capable of contributing to someone else's life from a position of wisdom. It may not be like this kind of macro wisdom of like a Dalai Lama kind of bow down grasshopper. You know, you yeah, you you were you were yeah. not top down, but like kind of across you know, there's certain eye. things eye to eye that we all know and kind of finding the opportunity, hopefully. Um, and I find this at also like mentorships, you know, so you mm-hmm. get to a point with a mentor and looking at you and they're like, uh, you know, I really have nothing else to teach you or guide you. You want to hang out get a beer and I can talk to you about like what's fuck with me this week, you know, and you just kind of, you kind of move through it. And it's just kind of getting to that point of understanding that there will always be, at least for me, that there's these levels of transition where you look to someone for like their accomplishments or what they've accomplished through you or what you accomplished through them. And then like the veil is blown down and it's like, whether it be through like physical vulnerability or uh, just like emotional discord and you just realize that, whoa, you're a person, I'm a person, we're both screwy somehow. And, you know, depending on relationship, you know, you can kind of just see them for where they are. And, and it kind of that, like that transition of like when, Yo, when is it okay for me to like make commentary on your life in the way you know you've made commentary yeah. on mine? You know, my my friend in college who's also deeply wise um, and has these really lovely and interesting parents. Like her father is an engineer who writes poetry. Like how mm. cool is that? And her mom uh. is like a pro baker. Like <laughs> like works for Zingerman's in oh, wow. um, Michigan. Anyway, very cool family. And she would sometimes like. Like, I mean, like all of us, we have issues with our parents, but we had another roommate who had issues with their parents occasionally, and all of us did. I mean, come on. That's just, like, how it is in college when you're, like, the, your identity is forming and, like, you're pushing against prior boundaries. But um, my friend, she used to say, um, remember, they're doing this for the first time, too. Like, they're being, like, you know, 56 with a kid in college, for the first time, too, like with three kids in college, in my case, or or like they're like they've never done this before, like and like I think that for a lot of our lives we have this perception that like the 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 point of wisdom that they're coming from is having done something before, um, and and sometimes um, and when you're both adults and you're able to realize that like that 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 isn't that's a little more equal. It's not as but I always I always liked the way she put that because yeah. every every time since that I've been like frustrated with the fact that they can't tell me what the right thing to do is because I have to tell myself that and I'm I also am constantly wanting to please like the silent jury like which I 
have fully invented. It's kind of amazing. Um, they're very loud, though. I would like to say as that. Silent. Yeah, as 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 for yeah. silent jury, they're yeah, loud. It's amazing. They they are yeah. very. They can do both. You're so, asking for order in the court. A lot. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, and they want my mom. My mom calls the jury the mean girl, which is always telling me that I'm bad at things. Um, but and I don't like her characterization because it feels like more than one person. But anyway, um, <laughs> my friend always saying like, remember that they've done this for the first time too, and I always draw myself back to that. So I guess in that sense, that's advice I took from my friend. But it's actually just, and I feel very drawn to this as a person that that hinges on on words and phrases like more than I do on aphorisms and like more things that ha- seem to have an individual. Uh, twist to them, I guess, rather than like things that seem worn down over time because they've been said so many times, like live, laugh, love. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It just it has to be said. <laughs> um, like there are many adherents of live, laugh, love, or you know, dance like no one's watching. Again, many adherents of this philosophy, but it doesn't hit me like my friends saying, "Remember, they've they're doing this for the first time, too," which I guess actually is the benefit of that individual conversation between people is like a lot of the time when you're encountering advice in an institutional form or a form that's coming from something that's been worn down by editing or various other processes, time, um, you know, anything organized. Um, it seems like generic. And then when you get it from somebody specific, I guess it, it, it sticks with us for different reasons, but I'm curious, has anyone, like, ever received a piece of advice that, like, literally changed their life? Or, or, or I should say, probably figuratively, because in the, in the way of, <laughs> it's a like, life narrative, yeah. like, framing of life, like, I guess it would be not literal. Yeah, one thing, all right, so I was in Kowloon last year with uh, Gregory Parlow and Bobby Francis, super poets, both of them both. Hey, Greg, hey, Bobby. Uh, and, uh, Par- and... Get get him get him published. <laughs> Do something <laughs> special. Greg's is a good guy. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, so Gregory has his class where he like has you look through your poems in a way that's like very like emotionally deep dive. Like we're all writing about the same things all the time, whether we realize it or not. Mm. And he said, "You as a writer, it's important." And I guess this kind of translates to me as like as a person. There's a difference between the story you tell yourself and what's really going on. And for me, that was like such a hard hitting thing. Like you think this, you tell yourself I'm X, I'm Y, I'm Z. So-and-so is, you know, A, B and C, but it's like, no, these are the stories you tell yourself. And like the work of poems is to be able to have the distance to, to identify the stories that we're telling ourselves versus what they are. And then, you know, kind of stretch out the humanity of that tension. And I was like, oh my God, like I've been mad at people for so long. I've been mad at myself for so long. And I've been looking at things as one way for so long. But is this real? Or is this a story I tell myself? And if it is a story I tell myself, why am I telling myself the story? Who is in my story? Or is it someone someone else put on me? And so it kind of opened up my eyes to like, yes, a great way to approach the work and poetry. And you're saying you kind of a thousand ways to approach um, you know, whatever your art form is or, you know, however you approach your life. But that was like definitely one thing that's kind of just changed the way I look at a lot of things and like how I've been, you know, if people come to me for advice, how I push back on them. Well, is this what's really happening or is this what is a story that you're creating, the lore of your life, the lore of your pain, the lore of this, that, and the third. So that, that kind of wisdom is kind of like just like blew my shit open. So, <laughs> so, so that's where I'm at right now. Um. So when we were talking about um, the advice that like hits you and like it connects with you later, um, that I think it's interesting that there's this space of advice that happens in the moment in the current, and usually that's can be frustrating, or we can like rehash and we can be like, "What was that about? Like, why did I meet this person? Or why did I do this?" But then like uh, you you call it advice like when you re- when you truly recall it and you remember it, and it's like mm-hmm. unavoidable. Um, so to touch on what, um, Christopher was saying, I really had a, before about like mentoring and mentors and like how that relationship, I really had a hard time ever picking, you know, how you're like asked and 
school to be like, who's your hero? Like, who's your like go to? I never had one. I could never, I could never pick one. Um, I'd always felt like ingenuine for me to, I could, I could pick someone that I knew that like someone that I knew, but like celebrities, like scholars, like people like that. I could never do a distance thing. Um, but like, you know, and always you have like a safe go-to, which is like, mm-hmm. for me was my granddad. Cause like, he was just like someone that was very clear in my life. He was very, he was a very strong image, um, endearing, uh, loving kind of like, like a grandfather, grandfather, <laughs> like, like I, my earliest memories are him, are him picking me up and, and, and touching the hair of the elk that he killed in the Montana mountains. Wow. <laughs> like, like that's sort that's of epic. like, that's some epic shit. Like, yeah. yeah. And like, and yeah, like, uh, no, nothing about like haunting or like the politics of that, but like, come on, like, you know, like that aside, like the, like as a child, like remembering that and then eating popcorn, like on his lap. And like, he was just like a very calming individual. And I knew that for a long time. So I like, he and my idea was like the example of wisdom. I mean, he was truly the like grandfather in the sky, like sort of role, always like sitting, always sit at the head of the dinner table, always sat at the, you know, like when we had Christmas, he was always there, the one handing out the presents in his, I believe in Santa Claus hat. Um, but I, I remember there was at some point in time, you know, my parents kept reminding me like what, like, remember like the time you spend with them like it's very important because you know you won't you won't always and I don't know what it was but I was like because he always said like wise things but I could never remember them and and there was one time that I was with him that I don't know if I asked him something or if he ended up saying something and I just like honed in my mind was like oh this is one of those moments where he's giving me advice and I need to remember it so that I can talk about this grandfatherly advice like about this person and um so the one thing that I remember him saying, which sometimes he would say things like offhandedly and like, I'd be like, what? like, is that real? Like, you're just saying that so that I'll say it. But this one was like very simple, very complete. It was like something his mom told him, which is even better, but it was waste not, one not. And I remember it was like easy. And I remember, and I, and I can remember when I started journaling, um, cause this had happened several years before it, probably when I was like in middle school, I remembered him saying it. But when I started journaling like later in high school, I remember like, um, cause that was like when I formed a lot of like set, like sedimented thoughts, like writing about my granddad and being like, waste not one night. That's what he always said. And, um, and so it's like, it's, it's interesting to me how they like the cushion of an idea um, develops of, of advice often develops from like a so much bigger because like ways not one not like what does that what does that really mean like okay like whatever I can like and I can make it this like recycling environmentalism sort of like statement but but it's really just like words of comfort coming from someone that like was like it's okay like if you do this it's okay I can't think of uh, like a single moment that really um, touched me or changed me with advice. I feel like my answer, which is not an answer, is that I studied uh, postcolonial theory in school and had a mentor um, who really fundamentally changed everything about how I think about everything in the world. <laughs> and he probably said something really wise to me, and I could like talk talk at great length about that process and learning those things. But I think in terms of a person having a lot of my sense of sureness taken away from me through a process is probably like the best advice type process I've been through that has, I think, made me a better, more thoughtful, like human among humans. Um, so that's my not answer. That's weird. Like even like kind of going back to you know, the advice that Davis and I were sharing is like different ways in which uh, we're like taught like humility Right. So like the, you know, what's the story, what's the story versus like what's real is kind of like that emotional humility. And I think that's like we think about humility and it's about, you know, not seeming grandiose, but how can we be like emotionally humble in this moment and kind of give us, give ourselves and other people the opportunity to be people without kind of taking everything to you've wronged me, I've wronged myself. And in many different ways, we kind of articulate that whether we can tap into those emotions or not, but that kind of like establishing an inner life that's that's forgiving you know it kind of at least for me those have been the moments that kind of like snap you out and say whoa you don't know everything right intellectually humbling experiences 
um, you know, or uh, you're not the strongest kid on the block, you know, physically, humbling <laughs> experiences, you know, whatever your, your situation may be. So for me, is whatever sticks is whatever, like, kind of puts me back at square one, not from, like, a demeaning way, but, like, kind of saying, like, there's a flat planning that we all exist on and find a way to, to, to have your space and have your way without finding you to prop yourself up on or push up someone, someone else. I'd say, like, a lot of, like, what has changed my perspective. I mean, I'll never forget my philosophy professor, like, philosophy, like, 101, so I don't know. Like, I, that's probably not what it was called. It was probably, like, something else. Anyway, it was, a, it was a sort of basic philosophy class in college, and she was talking about the, the notion that, like, as soon as you... I forget. I'm gonna... I, I will not attribute this to a philosopher because if I do, I will Google it later and then feel bad that I got it wrong. So I'm yeah. not going to do that. But y'all <laughs> probably know, and that's fine. Anyway, the, the the idea that as soon as you you pass someone or you look at somebody on the like street or like you know you're encountering them visually as like an object, like initially, you mm-hmm. know, you're seeing what they're wearing, like how they look, like how they're walking, like but you're but you're not seeing them like you're not experiencing them in like a sort of uh, friendly d- direct like way I mean you know it's a human object but it's still like this sort of sense that my eye uh, objectifies what I see and in order to rationalize its Existence. presence anyway um, and I remember walking out of class and like trying not to look at anybody <laughs> and then like feeling this incredible sense of like um, like, both loneliness and, like, almost, like, a pseudo, like, I don't know, maybe I was tired, like, violence, like, about, like, the first person I did see, and realizing that I, like, was, like, interpreting them, like, as not something that really, I don't know, and it was just, I, I remember that, so I will say that is a, is, like, a one moment when, a, like, a sort of random point, and it wasn't even really, like, a major part of the course, like, which was about many more things than that but I will say that I will say the most influential moments for me though were were positive reinforcement that happened outside of um my family sphere because then as much as I love them I don't trust their opinion about me <laughs> at all I'm like well so you're biased because you're like the author of this so obviously you've got to think it's like pretty good like right I mean otherwise what have you been doing for 25 years they have like, to believe in their work right? yeah. yeah you have to believe in your work so um I, I think that um and the whole reason I even went for writing in the first place and I always wanted to write and I was writing and then when I got to college I was just like gunning for creative writing classes and you had to take intro to poetry first which I was like um, but I did it. I did the class, and the class was fine. But then I finally got into my first short story writing class, and I my first short story that I wrote, um, I was, like, in, like, some kind of fugue state. Like, I, I put it off because I was, like, scared it would be bad, and but I had these ideas forming, like, all week. And then I, I sat down about five hours before it was due in the library and just, like, pounded it out. And then, like, brought it to class and was like, couldn't look at anybody, couldn't look at my professor, was like scared. Like, then when I came up for a workshop, um, they always want to start a workshop by like having you read a section of your story to the whole class and um, and then you sit there silently for 40 minutes and yeah. it's the worst thing in the world, but it's but then you learn to love it and it's kind of great. But anyway, um, or maybe you never love it and it never stops sucking. Anyway, but I, <laughs> it's constructive. But I remember him asking me to read from my story and I like didn't know really like what part was good. I kind of maybe did, but I, I sort of just like was scared that I was wrong because I'm always scared I'm wrong. Um, and I just started reading from the first page. And I got about, like, a third of the way down, and he goes, eh, just stop. Skip to page five and read that part that you know is the best part of the story. And everyone in the class just started, like, nodding. And I remember just feeling like, like, either I was stupid for, like, not knowing that or not trusting that or, like, just, I just remember that. And he was very influential in a number of ways, like, but he, like, sort of by making me, like, just like stop <laughs> like at a crucial moment when I was probably going to just continue thinking the things I'd always thought about the stuff I wanted to do 
in that sense, advice functions in that way for me too. Because like otherwise, I'm like a pretty, I'm a machine. I'm gonna just continue thinking the same pattern of thoughts. And like advice can be like a spanner yeah. in that you know mechanism. And so if we dealt with that uncertainty, I feel like I was gonna say I think I tricked you guys into talking about uncertainty. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a master plan. Well, well, we have a couple things we have to talk about before we finish. Is one of them Delilah? One of them is Delilah. <laughs> My so love for her is bottom. I like literally. I have okay, no there idea is like no comprehension is. in one half of this. There room. is a fifty percent, fifty percent knowledge gap at this moment. Please, correct. It's enough to power the station. Go ahead. So you have to start with Delilah driving when it's dark in your car by yourself. Like I feel like that's pretty important. Yes, maybe it's raining. Maybe you're feeling bad. Yeah, it's got to be cloudy. And and so the premise of the show functionally is. Mm. Um, like she comes on and, and people call and tell her about what's going on in their lives mm-hmm. and then she picks a song to play their, for them you hear their voice yeah. yes yeah so yes. they'll call like I was listening the other night I like I really I drive often it starts at 8 I believe and I uh, in DC and I yeah. often if it's on I'll listen so someone calls and she's like talking about um, her husband and how they met in high school and they hated each other at first and it was just a rough start and they, they got tricked into going to prom together but then like she realized that she was into the wrong kind of person uh-huh. and she and, and this was the, he was good to her and loved her and now they have kids and he is an amazing father to their children and she just wants him to know how grateful she is that he is this person in her life who loves their kids and then Delilah like is like says like I hear that that's so beautiful and there's like dreamy like, music playing music like do 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 and, and, and then she picks a song to, like, express this woman's love for her husband. That is it's so good. awesome. Oh, my God. Wait, what, what station is this on? It's on 97.1 in D.C. 97.1. Yeah, Watch we'll FM. be tuning in. And then there's the little jingle, Delilah. Like, it's like, that's, like, the big thing. But she, yeah, she just, like, talks with this very, like, soothing voice. And sometimes people are talking about, like, hard stories, too, about how they're struggling in their lives. You need to go cuddle up close with your Ben and Jerry's and and find yourself a nice little warm spot tonight. And just don't think about that for for a few... You know, it's like like that sort of... I mean, it's like practical stuff. She says things, but she's also just like... It's just like a hug of, like, like... And, like, sometimes it feels very... Like, sometimes you listen to it because it's funny. Like... Yeah, like it's, it's, it is distinctly sincere. So however you react to like yeah. extreme sincerity, you will experience this show. Yeah, that depends on my mood. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of like love stories, yeah. right? They're like love gone wrong or they're like, like parent, like parents. I'm like raising my kid by myself yeah. and I'm working three jobs and I'm trying to get through school and I don't, I feel like sometimes I don't know how to get on. Yeah. It's yeah. literally people like at a breaking point that call, like not like a, not like a, massive one but like you could hear like you can hear in their voice like and she's just like oh sweetie like uh, we all need that person in our lives that we know whatever we bring to them they're gonna give us in like an awe sweetie time i'm just stuck in the fact that how many songs is she having cue like yeah. and they all have to be this different woman, songs right yeah must know wow. a great deal about i mean celine dion is definitely on her okay but like, celine go-to. dion knows Okay, yeah. like we're not gonna dispute. I want to be clear that I'm not endorsing the song choices because okay, she's, oh. <laughs> I'm gonna defend. I'm gonna defend Celine Dion because the woman has been through some shit. Okay, in her life in general. I mean, like let's not even talk about the weirdness of marrying your manager who started managing you when you were like 14, and then to lose him tragically after a very long marriage. And then there's the whole Vegas side of Celine, which I can't even really reconcile. I know it's unpopular, but I support everything that she does. Even if I don't listen to her music, I just want to say that. So Delilah, <laughs> check it out. Like, and if you to like Celine Dion, Dion apparently is. I mean, it's, 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 it's all kinds that. of stuff. It's I, that was just like a, a random. Presumably, noise. it's not like dirty projectors though. No, no. no. <laughs> no. She's playing easily like slow jams and like soft That's ballads and like yeah. yeah. You know what this kind of reminds me of like, like some, some like quiet storm stuff um, and like kind of like that slow R&B jazz thing and like the people calling and saying my woman left me last night I don't know what to do man don't worry about it brother I'm gonna play this on the ones and twos all night you know what they were it's like that kind inspired of... by Delilah I gotta be honest I think Delilah <laughs> was the original she's been a long time oh, she's like been doing it a long time years, yeah. maybe, maybe more 
I don't know. I hope someone's done, like, a profile on her, so when I Google her later, I'm going to get all the answers that I need. So, I, true story, I Googled her before I came here because I didn't want her to be, like, secretly an awful human with, like, all these scandals. And she is scandal-free. The only, She's <sighs> very, very... She's um, like committed to her Christian faith. And so she once took her kids out of school because they were teaching some Mormon, uh, things that she wasn't into, but she like, in all of the quotes about it, she's like, everyone should believe what they want. This is just what I believe. So even that isn't like, I do have a friend though. That's like, I have never heard a gay story. Oh, that's probably right. (laughs) It's like, I want to hear one, but I don't know. Like that's not, that was just anecdotal. So it's just like a breath of like extreme sincerity, which I've already admitted to liking. (laughs) It's just like, it's kind of, I don't know. Where else do you hear people just talking about how they really feel? And maybe that's the key to like all advice and advice giving, like sincerity and just being open with how you feel. Yeah. I mean, this has been like a group therapy session for me. I feel like I got, yeah. We talked about, like, we've not like shared or passed anything. I think like Emily's presence in the room, that's just like. It's calmed me down. I don't know about you guys listening. I feel very calm. So the last thing I said said that we haven't talked about before we do where we are on the Space Atlas. Baking. We didn't even talk about like anything food related. So you have to give like five facts of like baking advice love or like something because you are all over it not just baking cooking whatever i would rephrase (laughs) not ask her to give five things (laughs) on the fly why do you why do you love to bake because i like okay background this woman is very good at baking um and we look forward to all the things that she brings in also she is our cookbook guru um, uh-huh. And has been called out of her very well-deserved break to advise customers on what cookbook they should buy. And we've both recommended Gwyneth Paltrow's cookbook more times than we admit to, usually. But here, it's, it's, it's on the airwaves now. But um, why? how did you get into it? Why do you love it? And what is it, what's, what's its place in your life? Um, I studied abroad in Nepal, which is on the list of life-changing experiences for me, for sure, and then moved back there after I graduated from college and taught women English in a village for a while. But I was not, like, doing a homestay the way I was the first time. I was living with two other Americans in this music producer's house, which is it's a whole other story. Sounds very cool. That sounds... Um, producer of the number one folk band in Nepal, Katumba, and we went on the road with them all the time. Like, a whole thing. Uh, but, uh, but... Whoa, the stories, they're <laughs> alone. That's, that's Wait, another... What? You've got to come back. That's yeah, we have to just talk about on the road, just sharing stories. Anyway, Um, so I just like got super into cooking there and cooking for my roommates and cooking with my landlady and just the food is so central in a different way to my experience um, growing up. Um, And so then I came back and I had all of these high minded ideals about I come from like definitely privileged Washington where I felt like I was always being valued for my intellect. So I wanted to work hard with my hands and have to be nice to people every day. And that was like the only thing I wanted from my work was like, I did not want it to be about if I was smart or clever or had all these things to say. So I went to a bread bakery and got a job like opening at five in the morning every day. Um, And so that sort of, it continued from there for me, I guess. And then I left the bakery to work for politics and prose because I was tired of getting up at five in the morning every day. Um, You started off saying like your favorite time to give advice is person to person interactions. So what do you bake or what do you like to eat if you're like with someone you're giving some advice what is like the go-to thing like you would like you need a couple of these around if you can <laughs> if you can if you're trying to get through these yeah um, serious situations i think is a recipe in a cookbook oh what's it called i can't remember what it's called by kim boyce um for whole wheat chocolate chip cookies that are like uh, and not because it's like healthy like screw that it's it's just the flavor is better um, i can't remember what it's called right now it's just embarrassing um so that would be one in terms of food, um, tacos probably. Like, I think tacos. 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 It's a healing food. It is a healing It's food. like, yeah, tacos. <laughs> awesome. Where are we in the Space Atlas? I'm feeling a lot of great vibes. We're, we're driving down Highway 95 <laughs> on a stormy night, listening to the soothing voice of Delilah. Mm-hmm. All right, so boom, we're going to end it there. My name is Greg's. I'm Space Fan. Just Charlotte. And let's clap it up for Emily. <laughs> and this was episode four of the Hero Philosopher's Motherland Station. Like we mentioned, and we'll be continuing to mention, in our Ticklet magazine is coming soon. Please submit. All right, we have a wonderful 
What? 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 I was looking at you. Wonderful what? I want. Inarticulate magazine. Wonderful. What? It's funny because you're being inarticulate. <laughs> Thank we you. Have a, we, have a, we have a submission for This form. is how. Is that what you're asking about? This is how meta we get. I was trying to. Read. I like, don't know what he's hinting at. You have to do it that way every time. Every right? time. Inarticulate. In our ticket magazine, we're accepting a whole slew of different types of creative disciplines and art forms. Please submit. You'll find the link on our Facebook page. You can always email us question at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Bye. Boom. Thanks for your calls tonight, Castleton and Greenwood. We're playing soft rock for a busy world. I'm Delilah on B105.7. Delilah.